if you would remain standing, we're going to now take out our copies of God's Word and read from Numbers chapter 1. We're going to read the first 46 verses. So hear with me, friends, the Word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head of head, head by head, uh, from twenty years old and upward. All in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company, and there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of the fathers. And these are the names of the men who shall assist you. From Reuben, Elazur, the son of Shadur. From Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai. From Judah, Nashon, the son of Aminadab. From Issachar, Nethanel, the son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, uh, Elishama, the son of Ahimahad, and from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Padazur. From Benjamin, Abaddon, the son of Gideoni. From Dan, Ahazar, the son of Amashadai. From Asher, Pagiel, the son of Akran. From Gad, Eliasaph the son of Duel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enan. These are the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together who registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward head by head. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he listed them in the wilderness of Sinai. The people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribes of Reuben were 46,500. Of the people of Simeon, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, those of them who were listed according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. Of the people of Gad, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of the names, from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. Of the people of Judah... Their generations, by their clans, by the fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. 27 of those listed of the tribe of Judah, or those listed of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. Of the people of Issachar, their generations, by their, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the numbers of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400 of the people of Zebulun. Their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward. Every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,400 of the people of Joseph, namely the people of Ephraim. Their generations 
by their clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of their names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Ephraim were 40,500 of the people of Manasseh. Their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200 of the people of Benjamin. Their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400 of the people of Dan. Their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Dan were 62,700 of the people of Asher. Their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Asher were 41,500 of the people of Naphtali. Their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. Those are, these are who are listed from Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, 12 men, each representing his father's house. So all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Was anyone astonished by that? Whoa, 603,550. Okay, that ought to be like knock your socks off exciting when you read it, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a number, right? It's a number. So let's take a moment and think about like do reading lists of numbers really encourage us or really move us? Uh, Lance, could you hit the next couple slides real fast? Oh, yeah, there's, there it is. Okay, that's a, this is a hypothetical poll taken uh, of who would win in an election between uh, President Donald Trump at the time and rock, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson won in the poll. Okay. That's, a, that's, a, that's numbers. That, that actually is interesting to some people, right? Look at the next one. This is called Moneyball. It's a bestseller. It's a movie. Uh, it was about how uh, sports teams took sport analytics and were able to win using sport analytics. Numbers uh, to, to, to win. That's a very important. Numbers matter, right? And they matter in context when they make sense to us. When you look at these numbers that we just read, now we're done with those images. You can go back to the text. Okay, so no more looking at the rock and Trump. So go back to the Bible. Uh, as you look at these numbers, you might think in context, well, what does this mean? You know, and I would say this. You know, like, listen, people are a fascinating array of different temperaments, uh, personalities, uh, and we have people in our little house who are uh, who are different. Uh, they're from the same blood, same DNA, same parents. They're all different. Similar genetic makeup, but widely divergent personalities, right? And they vary. Some of them have the gift of gab, and some are more introverted, right? As one with the gift of gab, I can fill space with my words. I can talk whenever necessary. I can talk just to talk. Others in our house do not share that characteristic. However, they will only speak when necessary, when something is significant to say, right? So I want to say, as we understand this, the Bible is not overly long. I just want to say that. 
one collection, 66 books, God doesn't just speak to speak. When he speaks, it's important. It's necessary. He's not just gabbing. <laughs> this is just filler. Okay, I think we treat this as if just filler. It's just extra words. Let's get to the good, let's get to the stuff that matters. Okay, like, that's not how God works. When God speaks, nothing he says is frivolous. If God says it, we are to rightly conclude that it is vitally important. Of course, we are creatures, and we are sinners, and exactly why God's speech is important is maybe elusive to us at first. Now, that's why we're here. With Numbers 1, and this first section of Numbers in particular, we've seen in three intro sermons, knowing who God is is important, okay? Knowing Yahweh, this is who he is, is important, and that made a difference to the people. Knowing who Moses is is vitally important. Knowing what his story was was super important for understanding what's going on here. And knowing the situation of where they're located, the wilderness, it's a desolate place, scorched place, there's no food, there's not enough drink. Uh, it's going to be challenging. Knowing these issues going in really going to help us. So as we look at this, a census, we see numbers are helpful in context where we can understand why they're important. But why are these numbers important? That is huge. Why is it that several tens of thousands and, and then into the hundred thousands of, of Israel counted out here in the wilderness is important to lead off this journey? Why is it important? Well, when we're interpreting Scripture, there are three principles we need to seek out to understand it. First, we've already, as we already mentioned, we've got to understand every word's important. It's breathed out by God. It's important. He doesn't use frivolous words. Number one, it's important. Number two, we're going to use the analogy of faith. When we want to interpret Scripture, when we don't really understand it, it's best to go to other places in Scripture to help us to know it, to know why it's significant. So we're going to use the analogy of faith, letting Scripture interpret Scripture. That's what that is. Martin Luther coined that phrase, I believe, analogy of faith, meaning Letting Scripture interpret Scripture. And then thirdly, we're going to note that it's an unfolding story. And so as we're, as we're interpreting Scripture with Scripture, we need to understand where it fits in the unfolding story. That it's not just tablets with, with do's and don'ts on it down from heaven. That's not what the Bible is. It's, a, it's revelation progressively revealed over time who God is and what we're to know and do with Him uh, as we see. So when interpreting Scripture... I just read it and move directly to present feelings and situations and what it means to us. For a census command, it may or may not have much to do with how I'm feeling right now. That's what, was, that's what we, we just read, a census. Some other passages we might be more readily uh, interested in, more applicable to us. You know, like the moral imperatives of Paul's letters, right? Uh, what are you saying we ought to do and not do? Uh, the, the parables, like the Good Samaritan parable, that might be more attractive to us. Or the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe some isolated psalm verses. We've read those in our call to worship today. They're very encouraging to us. We might find those to be helpful. Uh, okay. We're reading a historical narrative now, and this census is the result. And we, we're seeing what it is. So what is it? How is it important? Well, the first thing we've got to realize if we're looking at its importance and understanding it is we have biases in our minds. Okay, uh, Gordon Wenham, who wrote a commentary on numbers, uh, mentions that we have a modern bias against ritual and formal organization. But this bias against ritual and formal organization is not consistently lived out. Okay, we might find Exodus 
25 through 40, and Leviticus, and these numbers passages as being arcane and irrelevant to us because there's so much on ritual and these organizational principles that we don't really care about. The evangelical Christian tends to regard even extemporaneous prayer as more spiritual than liturgical prayer, right? A written out prayer, uh, that seems to be in many minds today less spiritual and authentic than a non-written more uh, go-with-the-flow prayer, right? That's, that's a fair, that's one bias you might have, right? But even if your extemporary prayer is done, you are using categories, organization, and cultural principles that you've picked up to do that. There is organization, there's ritual in that if you're, if you're not reading it, right? Even if you don't like uh, more formal dress and speech, Casual dress and speech is a thing. Like uh, Dr. Beisel here is a professor at OU, right? Uh, they don't uh, wear the same get-ups that professors wore back in the day. But they set themselves apart. They usually wear like a tie and, and jacket and things of that nature and suit, whereas the students don't wear that. So they, their formal structure and dress develops, even though there's no requirement for them to dress a certain way. You know, you can't get away from ritual and organization. Say, say you wanted to abandon the uh, institutional church entirely and have house churches. When we moved to Norman in 2011, uh, there was this church that was kind of a movement called uh, Normcom, Norman Community Church. It was all just house churches. You know, they had rituals, they had organization, but they weren't in the church, right? I think that thing fell away eventually. I don't know what happened to it. It's gone. But ultimately, you can't get away from ritual or organization. You know, these are the things that we are going to uh, maybe be against at the outset, but we need to understand it's good for us to have ritual and organization. And so we're going to see that this ritual and organization was important for them, but the really important thing here beyond the laying them all out there, organizing them, getting the guys in order to do this and accomplishing it is the numerical results. Censuses are designed for numerical accuracy, right? And if you look at the results in the last verse, the people number 603,500. Now that's incredible because what, what, what that uh, in context means is if you look back at your second page of your bulletin, you see where this began, Genesis 12, 1 through 9. And even before that... Genesis 1.28, uh, it says to us that uh, we shall be fruitful and multiply. It says, God blessed man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? And then things, things did not go so well, of course, because the representative man, Adam, uh, aligned himself with Satan and sin entered into the world and men and women did not want to obey God's voice or trust God anymore. In Genesis 11 you see that the world gathers to make a name for himself at, or itself at Babel and so God sees the, the rebellion and then disperses these people to all over places of the earth uh, all over the face of the earth. He, just, he comes down judgment over that rebellion of all gathering up in one place, not multiplying, not subduing the earth, and making name for themselves. And he sends them out. God fills the earth, right, with them. And so in Genesis 12, the context of that is that God is now going to accomplish 
the purposes of Genesis 128 through a 75-year-old man from Ur of the Chaldees, from Babylon, the same place where Babel was. And he's moved now to uh, a place called Haran. And let's see what it says there. It says, the Lord said in Genesis 12:1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Okay, let's stop there. He says, go to the land I'm going to show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Okay, you see that? That's the promise. Is that accomplished? It was Abraham, his wife, his nephew, and a couple other people from Haran. They go to another land, and then they move eventually. The descendants move. And the fact of the matter is, this is a 75-year-old, and his wife has not been able to have kids, and they have kids at 99. And then the son of the promise, Isaac, has kids with his wife, who was unable to have kids at first as well. And they, they have uh, Jacob, who has 12 kids. And they, he, they become the, the 12 tribes, eventually. And these, these are the people that are named here in this text, the, the descendants of these people, all from one man, too old to have kids, to a woman, too old to have babies. And God kept, keeps his promise to, to fill the earth. Now, he's just filling a little stretch in the Middle East the size of New Jersey, the promised land. And this, this land, the this, this size of New Jersey, is a picture of the whole world. It's a, it's a symbol, it's a type, it's a shadow of what God's doing in the whole world, what, what was intended for Genesis 1, 28, that, they, that God would give them this land and they would move out and fill it, subdue it, and make it fruit, and it'd be fruitful, be fruitful. Yeah, so, so that's, the, that's what's going on. Uh, in Exodus 30, God told them to take a census of the people. This is after they've left Egypt. Uh, they've got to the Mount Sinai, where we are now. He says, take a census. And, the, and, and, it, and they're going to take a census to, to know the offering they're going to give. Half a shekel uh, for the sanctuary per family member, right? Family unit. Family unit. And, and as you think about that, they're going to give these shekels. And it says in that text, eventually when they count this, the shekels out that were, that were given, the number was 603,550. Matches up with our, with our number here, right, in Exodus 30. They had one census prior uh, for, the, for the offering of the, of the tabernacle. Now, in Exodus 12, prior to this one, the people were leaving, and there were so many people leaving. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't just natural descendants of Jacob and Abraham, right? Who was going with them? It was uh, in, in Exodus 12, 37, it says the people of Israel, uh, uh, it says that they, they moved out, and it was a mixed multitude, a mixed multitude. Uh, and it says uh, they journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So the 600,000 is just, as we saw here, the men, the fighting men from 20 to 50. So we're talking about two to two and a half million people because you're not counting every man and you're count, not counting children uh, and you're counting, not counting women. It's a huge number, right? And th those numbers all cohere. In Exodus, in Numbers, you see the end of Numbers, Numbers 26. Again, that's a similar number there, a new generation, but a similar number. It's 601,000. Now, this idea of you're going to be a shadow of the world to come, Abraham, 
you're going to see this giant multiplication. It's going to be a blessing. And your offspring is going to be this uh, unnumberable people. Where do we get that from? Genesis 15, 5. Uh, Genesis 15, uh, the word of God came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Now we're many years down the road here from the promise originally given and many, many miles away. And, and Abram says, I have no offspring. The member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, meaning your servant, Eliezer of Damascus, shall not be your heir. Your own son, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, he said, so shall your offspring be. So this is a childless man, way over the age of childbearing years, and his wife is over the age of childbearing years and has been unable to have a child. And it says there, Abraham heard that promise. Your, your offspring will number the stars, outnumber the stars. And in, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In Genesis 22, God tells Abram to take that first son that he had here, the son, the son with his own wife, Sarah, Isaac is his name, and said, you're going to now take this son to a mountain and sacrifice him in Genesis 22. And so in 22:15, the Lord had provided a substitute for the son. He tests his faith, and he, Abram's willing to trust the Lord, and, and the Lord uh, provides a substitute. And then in 22, 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of its enemies. You're going to have the land as well. And in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. In your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the beach, but the first time I went to the beach, I noticed that you cannot get rid of the sand. It gets everywhere. You bring it home. It's with you. The sand. Sand, more numerous. The offspring more numerous than the sand. Offspring more numerous than the stars, if we could count them. God had promised to move his revealed purpose of Genesis 128 through from, a, from a, a world in a deplorable condition, a rebellious condition, to, a, to out of a man that was unfit, unqualified, to a people that were so numerous that, that Egypt tried to kill them. And here we are, they're escaped, and they're so numerous. To count them is unimaginable. It's such an arduous thing. And so we get to the first, number, first chapter of Numbers, we've seen that God has been faithful to his promise, giving Abraham descendants that are so numerous, a fighting force of 6,000 or 600,000 men out of a, a small group that journeyed from a foreign land and believed the promise. So we believe this story occurred in the 16th, 15th century uh, B.C., uh, or, or maybe even in the 13th to 14th century, that Moses wrote these things down for instruction, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, that these things happened and were written down in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 
so that you would, would follow their example. They took a census. How do we follow that? What, are, what were they to do? They were to take a census and count them out. Why are they counting them out? So they would know the faithfulness of God's promise to Abraham, their father. Look at the numbers. Look at Moneyball. <laughs> That's how it works. The analytics testify that God's faithful. The numbers predict that the president will lose. We look at the polls. That, why is a poll a newsworthy source? Because the numbers testify to what will happen. We look at the numbers. We say, that's what's going to happen. Look at the numbers. We're to take the numbers. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, Matthew 13, what does Jesus say the kingdom of God is like? If you look at it in, 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 on page 2, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that the man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. When it has grown to its largest and the garden plants, it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He said the kingdom of heaven is also like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. So it's small, it's tiny, but it's going to be bigger in the end, right? So we look at the kingdom. We may look at the numbers now. We're like, this doesn't look good. Look at the numbers now. It's not a fighting force of 600,000, very impressive uh, army, but it's insignificant looking, right? If you look at the kingdom of heaven, meaning the outside, uh, the, the visible, now, we don't walk according to sight in numbers counted. We walk according to faith in the promises of God. And what is the sum and summary of the numbers? There's one. We don't live by a fighting force of 603,000 people, but we live by a fighting force of one. One warrior, one God, one God-man, Jesus Christ. He fought and won the battle. We count the numbers and we say, we've got one. That's all we need. As John Knox said, a man and God together is always in the majority against no matter whatever force. You must, you must understand that as Moses and Aaron gave this command in order to give us a visible, tangible sign of God's faithfulness to count the numbers and be encouraged. And I'm going to tell you, you don't even need those numbers. You don't even need those numbers because those numbers only point ahead to Jesus. You're counting one for you. He is the offspring of Abraham. Now, this offspring of Abraham uh, in this is going to fill the land. We're going to see how they do that. But Christ is filling the land not only in New Jersey or in Israel, but the whole world. He is bringing the people from all tribes, tongues, and nation, as you see, that Christ is is in, by the Spirit, all places, all tribes and tongues. The summary and total of the fighting men among all the tribes was 603,000. Okay, now, that number sounds very hard to believe. If you look at the numbers, that number would be unmanageable. 200, 2 million to 205 million, 2.5 million people. Uh, this, the, the needs and the waste of that people would be so immense, it's going to be hard to imagine that. The fighting force of, of Egypt was about 20,000 estimated. The, the, the land of Canaan didn't have that many people in it. There's not that many people. This, this sounds like these numbers are exaggerated. It sounds like it can't be the right number. T to take care of those people would be impossible for, for us to imagine, but not impossible for God. We don't know the exact number. We know that the Bible says 603,000 in numerous places. We don't know how it worked, but we know that the census figures are either literal or precise, or they're not. They may be exaggerated, maybe they're symbolic. Some people use the, some people try to look at the, that problem of how, how this works, and they try to say, well, well those numbers are really uh, code for names and, and things like, you know, where they take uh, a number and it has a, a word meaning, right? 
uh, that's a little bit of a stretch. There's no reason to think that that would be it. Uh, some have offered solutions for this problem and, and said, well, the word there translated for thousands that we're reading into this and saying that's 603,000 or these are the tens of thousands of each tribe. Well, that's not really a thousand. That's not what we're saying. There's a, a, the Hebrew, there's, a, there's a, a realm of uh, variance in the translation there to where it could be clans. And so if you think about that, it could be way less. But in, still in the tens of thousands. So the point here is not that, they, that it's 600 and something thousand, but it's a great number. It's still a great number. Uh, God doesn't need these things. And I think that it's, you know, most likely not 200, 2, 2 point something million people uh, because, uh, you know, they could have just run in there and taken over things. I think it's probably much more of a, uh, a smaller unit, but a big unit of people that can go in uh, and have to trust the Lord. As, as God wanted to diminish the troops in Gideon's time, in the time of Judges, to where he had received the glory, a mob of 2.5 million overwhelming 60,000 troops uh, is not that, mu- not that big of a deal, right? That's expected. Uh, as you look at that, as you look at these things, you wonder, well, you know, maybe they're exaggerated numbers. Maybe, they're not the, maybe we've misunderstood the numbers. But the, the, the point of the matter is this, that the numbers are well beyond what they should have been had God not kept his promise. No matter how many people there, there really were there, there were enormous amounts compared to where we started with Abraham. And God had kept his, his promise to, to create this nation. He kept his word of Genesis 15 too. They are a nation. The people, uh, and God, God brought that to be. And so you could think, well, okay, so that happened. God certainly uh, could increase them, and he did. And that's why Egypt wanted to subdue them. And, and, and so the, these number, the, the vast number of people, it makes sense. Egypt was scared. The people were scared. But in Deuteronomy 7, it says, I didn't love you because you were more numerous. I didn't, I didn't love you because you were greater. Deuteronomy 7, 7. I loved you because I loved you. And I blessed you because I blessed you. God set his love on them. Not because they were the biggest and strongest. They were not. We know that to be true. And, and you think about it. They, they couldn't march around Jericho seven times uh, and then have time to battle if they had the logistics of 2.5 million people or 600,000 troops. It just seems to be unmanageable un- for that number of people. But it is a particular number. And it is a great number compared to where we began. Okay, so thinking about this, the names you need to know here is under, uh, under the Judah line. Judah is the biggest tribe in the list on, on chapter 1. And in Judah, there are two names that you see again. You don't see many of these names again in the Bible, but uh, Aminadab and Nashon, uh, from them came Boaz. Boaz is listed as the father in the ancestry of David in Ruth 4, 20-22. And so he's gonna, they're going to be listed in the Messianic line in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. This whole story, as we said, it's a story progressing. It's moving toward Christ, who is the ultimate offspring. And these things, this census, teaches the people there in that day, the original readers and the original hearers, to believe God's promises to do the impossible. He's going to make a nation out of one man. He's going to give them a land. He did that. And we today see that it's not just this land, but it is the whole world, and Jesus is doing it. Uh, Revelation 7 picks up on these names, the same names we just said, and it says this. I saw, this is John writing, I saw an angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, 
Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. Is that a literal 144,000? No, it's, it's, a, it's a symbolic number, meaning the complete 12 tribes, 12, you know, 12 apostles, 1,000 being a lot. They're sealed. And it says, from the sons of Israel, it says, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, all sealed. The same ones we just read. And right after that verse, the, when they finished that, it says, and after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. A great multitude that no one could number. The point is not how many there are, but that God will seal every one of his people and no one can number the number of them. He knows them all, but if we were to look at and count them all, we couldn't count them out. There's so many. Vast, from every nation, from tribe, peoples, and languages. That's what Revelation 17, or Revelation 7, verse 9 says. And they stand before the throne, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out, salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne. So when we see the census, we're to say, in original context, salvation belongs to the Lord. He keeps his word. When we see that vision of the future, the kingdom dwelling around the throne of the Lamb, we're to say salvation belongs to the Lord, to the throne, to the Lamb. We're to say the same things and see it. Uh, yesterday in the United, Ultimate Fighting Championship, there was a main event between Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. The, the thing that's interesting about this is Glover Teixeira is from Rio de Janeiro, where Brazil, where it was held. Where it was held. The thing you need to know there is Glover Teixeira lost to the American, Jamal Hill. In a previous matchup, the local guy was defeated by another combatant, and that, that guy from Mexico was pelted with trash and, and debris for winning as he, as he exited the, the arena. So Glover Teixeira, the defeated former champion, speaks to the crowd in Portuguese where they can understand him and says, you will not throw trash on the man who beat me. He won the, he's our champion. He is our champion. He won fair and square. And I will walk with him out of here. And you throw trash on him, you're throwing trash on me. Hey, the crowd knew. Physical presence of Glover Teixeira, their hero, they're not going to throw trash on the guy who beat him, Jamal Hill, the American. You know, uh, that'd be nice to see a visible representation, right, of the Lord walking in our midst, right, to, to protect us. But we don't have that. We don't have a Glover Teixeira bodyguarding us as his champion, right? We don't have that. We have God the Spirit. We don't see him. Unlike the crowd in Rio de Janeiro who could see Glover Teixeira, we have the Spirit, and we have his word. We have his promises, and he gives us his word, and he tells us to perform rituals and actions, like a census, but not us. We don't do censuses. God gives us a church, a congregation, a people who we are members of, the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, he says, there is one body, which we're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the body of peace with. You're called the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all things, in all and through all. And we're incorporated into this congregation of God, the network of families descended from Abraham and Joseph and Jacob. There was no 13th tribe for miscellaneous people. You see that? Because 
there were people coming out of Egypt to, go, to join with them. They didn't make a 13th tribe for the non-natural descendants. We're all non-natural descendants. We're incorporated into this body, the tribes of Israel. We were part of this, just like they were. And so this congregation has rights and privileges of membership, as we do as a congregation of God. Those rights and privileges are not by birth, but by faith. We're a mixed multitude following Jesus, and we always operate by faith. We witness the power and presence of God by faith. That's how we live as a congregation of God. And we have rights. What are our rights? Our rights are a guaranteed place in the new heaven and new earth with Christ. We have rights. We have an inheritance, just as these people did. A nation and a land was the promise. They had it. We, as they, do not see, did not see the promised land yet, and we do not see the new heaven and new earth yet, but by faith we have rights to this place. We have the substance of faith, God's faithfulness seen in this ritual. At the end of Genesis, Abraham's family went from 70 at the end of Genesis to now 600,000 soldiers. God kept his promise. We have the sand and the star promise. He kept it. Counting the people was a tangible, physical reminder of what God had said. We have physical, tangible reminders today. Our participation in the Sunday Lord's Day services is participation. It's where the congregation meets with God and God meets with the congregation. Therefore, you should participate in these services unless you're very sick or traveling. And you should take care of your body that you do not get very sick or do not have to travel so you can be here in the visible, tangible representation of God's people. The church is its embassy of his kingdom, and the king does not offer suggestions or sell products or provide resources that people can take or leave. He gives the spirit without measure. The church and the membership is a marvelous provision of the good shepherd who has not only redeemed his sheep, but also figured out how to feed and lead them. Our physical and tangible signs are the Lord's Supper and baptism, which we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Again, when we are counted in Christ, the bread and the wine is the army of God, is the fulfillment of the 600,000. We don't have 600,000 people fighting for us. We have an army of one. And in that one is ascendants that outnumber the stars and the sand in Christ, in his body and blood, is the right to the land. And in that, people from all tribes, tongues, and nations have found reconciliation with God and forgiveness of their sins. The results of his death are that we are family, citizens, and God's congregation by faith. Though formerly enemies, Christ has called us his friends, and he has laid down his life for his friends. And so we participate in a ritual that speaks to the promises fulfilled and the promises still to come for us. And we bless the other members of our church as we preach the gospel to each other and to ourselves in these rituals and these sacraments and all the life of our church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us to preach Christ, the substance and fulfillment of the census of the body of Christ uh, in the church. We pray that today that you would lead us to be a congregation of your people who, who give to uh, 